Well, that was fun. Tell you what, they were all up here drinking coffee at 6 o'clock in the morning. You know, you just can't stand up and sing that. You've got to get a running start into that song. And they, uh, they've done that. That's a super job. Don't you appreciate what they do week in and week out? Uh, all the different ways they lead us in worship and uh, such great effort. I, I sure appreciate them. Um, April of this past year, USA Today did a report on the 25 things... Uh, 25 trends that they believe have most shaped the United States over the last 25 years. And uh, of those 25 things, four of them were this. One was same-sex marriage. The second was the decline of the conventional family, coupled with the rise of the unconventional family. The third thing was delayed marriage, and, and as they explained that, it wasn't just people waiting longer to get married. It, it was more the attitude of the, the lack of necessity for marriage anymore. And the fourth thing was online pornography. These are four of the most significant things they believe are making America, making the United States, what it is today. Now, you recognize those are four things that clearly move us in a direction that is away from God's design for human sexuality and for the family. Now, now should we care about that? I mean, is this a place where you say, gosh, you know, just live and let live. You know, I mean, what, what concern of it is mine or, or what problem is it to me how somebody else uh, experiences or expresses love? What, what difference does it make to me what somebody else calls a family? Well, we should be concerned because individuals are the product of a family. Good or bad, right or wrong, we are all the product of a family. And individuals make up the society. Individuals make up a culture. And so if our families are moving away from God's design, then our culture can't be going anywhere that's right and good. Hey, our pictures of marriage today, our definitions of marriage today are, are more obscure and more complicated than ever before. It seems like the, the, the prospects of marriage are more negative than ever before. I, I don't think we even know how to define anything. We don't know what a man is, what a woman is, what, what marriage, what parenting. We can't even define these things anymore. And the really sad commentary on our society is many of us got our ideas about marriage and the roles we playing them. You know where we get them? From a 30-minute TV show. That's where most of us are getting our ideas. Maybe not necessarily most of us in this room, but most of us in this culture, we're looking to, to situational comedy and, and to popular consensus to define for us what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, what a marriage is, what the roles are. We, we've got all of these wrong pictures in front of us. And if we've got the wrong picture in front of us, we can't land where we want to be. We need to get the right picture in front of us. And of course, it's God's Word that gives us that picture. I'm not suggesting that, that four or five messages will clean all of that up and straighten society out or even help us in the issues in our own home. But I know this, we need to get the right picture in front of us. I believe our study in Ephesians uh, and the passages that we're coming up on are going to give us that opportunity, are going to give us an ability to put these right pictures in front of us. Now, you know what? It might be our tendency, especially if you've been in church for any significant amount of time, 
as we come to these passages to think, you know, I've heard this before. I've seen this before. And we have. As a matter of fact, some of these passages we've looked at in our church before. I'm going to be drawing from some stuff I've done in, in other sermons. It's, it's a review. But let's think about it, folks. How many times a day are we being bombarded with the wrong picture? Multiple times. And yet, how many times are we getting the right picture thrown up in front of us? What, a couple times every now and then with a sermon or with a book that we read or maybe we hear something on the radio? We need these right pictures continually thrown up in front of us. Marriage is tough. And it's God's idea, it's God's plan that our marriage would show the world His way works. That our marriage would be an example to the world of God's picture. But it's hard. You know, you, 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 the, the goal of marriage is for the, the two of us, for the man and the woman to become one. But the two people that have been assigned this task are selfish. That's right, you. <laughs> you sitting out there in your marriage, you're selfish. And that's going to cause conflict. And then you add to this the fact that you are going to hurt each other. You are going to disappoint each other. You are going to frustrate each other. And so all by ourselves, we can start to make a mess out of this thing called marriage. But then you add to that the wrong pictures that society is throwing up in us, telling us this is what a marriage is or isn't. And, and this is what we think about the roles of a woman or of a man. And then you add to that marriage continually telling you you don't need your marriage or culture telling you you don't need your marriage anymore. You can abandon your marriage. Gosh, in our world today, your family and friends may be a part of telling you you can abandon your marriage. I mean, it's hard to hear a good word out there about marriage. You might be wondering, I mean, does anybody want this anymore? Is anybody striving after this anymore? I'll tell you, one of my favorite Quotes on marriage is by a guy named Ed Wheat. It comes out of a book called Love Life for Every Married Couple. I think one of the most significant, one of the best written books on marriage ever. Love Life for Every Married Couple. And in that book, he says, it is God's will in every, look at that word, every marriage. That means yours too. You can have this. It's God's will in every marriage that the couple love each other with an absorbing physical, spiritual, and emotional attraction that lasts throughout their lifetime together. It is possible for any. Do you see that word? Any. That one includes yours also. Your marriage with its faults, with its failures, with its hurts can achieve this kind of relationship. Why? Because this relationship is in harmony with God's will for your life. His express, his communicated will for your life. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that's what I want. <laughs> that's, that's the picture I want. I want that happening in my life and that happening in my home. That's the picture we need to be placing in front of us. And we're going to try to get that picture in front of us as we walk through God's Word together. We're going to begin today in Genesis 1 and 2. Now, we still are. You can go ahead and turn there now. We still are in our, our series on Ephesians. But when we come back to this next time in Ephesians, we're going to be looking at very, very specific, detailed instruction for each member of the family one at a time. We're going to be looking at the wife. We're going to look at the husband. We're going to look at the children. We're going to look at parenting. We're going to look at each of these roles. Very specific, very detailed instruction that God's Word gives. And I just thought it would be a good idea before we dive into that detail that we do a quick flyby. 
that, that we get an overview, that we get the big picture. And so I thought we'd go back to always a good place to go back to the beginning. What was God's idea? What was he thinking? What was he doing when he brought a man and a woman together? What was his design in its development stage? So we're going to look at today these two chapters and just draw out about six observations that we can observe as God brings this first family together. And I want to give credit where credit's due. As I said, uh, Ed Weed a moment ago, that book, Love Life for Every Married Couple, uh, he does a lot of work on these two passages and I got a lot of help in developing these observations for from him. So let's dive in here. Our first observation comes from Genesis 1, verse 27. Look at that passage, Genesis 1, verse 27. It's a familiar one. It says, So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Male and female was God's idea. Male and female is not the product of evolution. Listen to me, the most scientific statement you'll hear this week. Male and female was God's idea. That was a product of his creativity. He he made these two people wondrously, gloriously different. But now the problem is differences cause conflicts, don't they? He sees things one way, she sees them another. That's a conflict. He wants to respond one way. She wants to respond another. That's a conflict. Unless we learn about each other's differences. We use and we celebrate each other's differences instead of fighting them, instead of ignoring them. You know, perhaps God's idea was is that he responded one way, she responded another. As they worked together, those two different responses would come to a perfect blending. In other words, the differences were to make a team that worked. A team that landed at balance. But now, is that what culture tells us? Oh, gosh, no. Culture says the absolute opposite now. You know, there's nothing unique about being male or female. There's nothing unique that the male brings to the marriage or that the female brings to the marriage. And so, since that's the case, you know, you don't need a man in a home. He's absolutely a non-variable anymore in the family. And men can marry men and women can marry women because, you know, and they can raise children because the male and female don't do anything unique. It doesn't matter. That's what culture tells us. And of course, that's backwards. It's outside of God's truth. And anything outside of God's truth is going to move us away from discovering real intimacy, real sexuality, God's design for the family and relationships. Male and female was God's idea. We need to learn about how our mate is different, whether we're studying men and women in general or specifically our mate, and then to learn to work with those differences. Because God's idea is it's the differences that make it work. Number two, our second observation comes out of Genesis 2.18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is like him. Marriage was designed to meet the first problem of the human race. Loneliness. You know, you've heard me, I think, say before, I, I think this is an interesting passage. Because Adam is living in a perfect world. And he's living in a perfect relationship with God. And yet it's God who says, something's missing. This isn't good. And so God brings to Adam the woman. He brings to him Eve. 
Now, it says it's like him. Now, we just talked about how they were different. Well, there is difference between male and female. But Eve is like him in the sense that as Adam looked around in creation, he wasn't like God and he wasn't like the animal kingdom. Here was his match. Here was the one that was like him and made for him. Here's the one that was created to be his helper. Now, what does our world say about that word? Oh, look, there's that Neanderthal scripture, that out of date, out of time, backward scripture. How how demeaning to the women. Is that what God is doing here? Is is God demeaning them? Well, you know, the word simply means somebody who supports a friend or an ally. There's nothing demeaning about supporting a friend, is there? As a matter of fact, that word helper, that same word is used of God. Do you know who calls God a helper? God. God calls himself our helper. Do you think God is demeaning himself? Do you think he's placing himself in an inferior role to us? Not at all. God created Eve to be a counterpart, a match, a helper with Adam in the task that they would fulfill on this planet. She was the counterpart to him spiritually and emotionally and physically. That's God's design. Now, quick note here, not necessarily on the the family, but you can hear a passage like this. And especially if you're single, think, well, now this is this. You know, you come to church and if you're not married, that means, you know, you're not complete. You're not you're not finished. You're not whole if you're single. Man, that's not the truth at all. As a matter of fact, you can turn to First Corinthians chapter seven and you'll see there a very detailed explanation of the single life. God blesses, God honors, God ordains the single life, specifically the single life devoted to him. And when that life is devoted to him, he meets those needs. But the point here is very simple. God gave us marriage to meet a need in our life. Let's look at our third observation. Look at Genesis 2, verse 22. It says, Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the woman, into, or from the man, into a woman, and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. Marriage was planned by God and decreed, listen to this, to bring happiness, not misery. Okay? God's plan was that marriage would be a wonderful and a good thing, an exciting thing in our lives. You say, now, how are you seeing that from this passage? You know, we're familiar with that passage. This one, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, kind of sounds poetic. We just kind of ramble through it. But as you study the language and the way it's written, you realize in the Hebrew, uh, Adam is actually responding with a great deal of excitement. He is looking at this woman and going, wow, I really think this is going to work. This is kind of cool. As a matter of fact, that Hebrew word for woman, the, the root word there comes from a word that means to be soft. It's quite possible as Eve brought, uh, as God brought Eve to Adam, he reached out and touched her and she was soft. He said, wow, I I like, I like a lot. (laughs) Kind of a simple response. Not a lot has changed, has it, ladies? (laughs) But see, the excitement, that's what the scripture is showing us here, folks. There is an excitement about marriage. It was given to meet needs. It was given to be good in our lives. Now, I want you to notice something else. Do you notice how completely and totally Adam accepts her? 
I mean, you think about it. Accepting her based on what? They haven't been on a date or anything together. He doesn't know if she's going to laugh at his jokes or like watching football or... I mean, they don't know anything about each other. How is it that he can get so excited about this woman if he doesn't know her at all? I'll tell you why. Because she's from God. And God's good. God is good. This is who He has for me. So she's good. Now, let me tell you something, folks. As God unwraps this story in Genesis 1 and 2, this isn't just some kind of myth to explain the origins of life, some kind of myth to tell us how family got started. No, it's a fact. We're seeing how the family is being begun here, but it's not just that. There's principles in every aspect of this story. And the principle here is receive your mate as a gift from God. Now, you know, as you met your mate... Y'all made all kinds of free choices. You chose to ask her out. She chose to say yes. He said, that's pretty cool. I'm going to ask her out again. She chose to say yes again. And it just kind of continued on until you were picking china patterns and landed at the altar. Now, I tell couples all the time, when you get to that point of the altar, at that point, you need to lay down all of those free choices. And you need to trust that in that freedom, there was a sovereign God working. To bring the two of you together. And now God's plan is for that person by your side. Now you're saying, no, 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 wait a minute. I mean, you don't know the person by my side. That person has really hurt me. That person has really sinned against me. Are you saying that was God's plan? No, I'm not saying that. God is never the author of sin. God is never the instigator of sin. But let's step out of this picture for a moment. Let's step back. Let's get real big picture now. What's God doing in your life? God's plan, God's purpose in your life is to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. That is what He is doing with every relationship, what He's doing with every circumstance, with every detail, the good, the bad, and the ugly. God is using all of the pieces of your life Chipping, polishing, molding. And when he's done, you're going to look like Christ. You're going to look just like Jesus. And so as we come into our marriage, God takes this mate and says, Now, this is the person I now have planned for you to go through the rest of life with. And yes, even in their faults, even in their failures, that'll be a part of what I use To conform you into the image of Christ. That's good. Now folks, there's a profound principle here. When I can begin to look at my mate, even in the frustration, even in the failure, look at my mate and say, you know what? This is God's plan for me. And God is good. God is doing a good work. So I will see my mate as a good gift from God. That's God's idea for us. That's the principle we need to be living with. Let's look at a fourth observation. Genesis 2.24 says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother. The idea here, folks, is that marriage begins with the leaving, very important word, the leaving of all other relationships in order to establish the permanent relationship between one man and one woman. I don't know how you've read that. I always used to read that and think it was just a geographical statement. You know, I, I, I was in this home, I leave and I go to this home. Here again, let me say it. This is more than just a story. There's principles being laid out here. When we come into a marriage relationship, there are all other relationship rules change. And it begins changing with our parents. 
Now, we still love, honor, and respect our parents, but we leave them. I see so many parents who literally get in the way of their children achieving oneness in their marriage. You know, mom calls and he jumps. Now, the wife can't call and get him to jump, but mom does. She still calls home to daddy. Daddy's her support. Daddy is her encouragement. Daddy is what builds her up. Folks, emotional bonds, emotional oneness is being built outside of the marriage. We're to turn that energy into the marriage. Parents, just a little reminder. Your job is to train them to leave. And that doesn't begin when they turn 18. Let me make it real clear from you. The moment they exit the womb, your job is to keep it going. Now, it may take 18 to 20 years or more to do it. But your job is to keep it going right on down the line. And in the process, you're training them to stand on their own physically, spiritually, functionally, relationally, financially, to where they go out and they stand on their own. And in marriage, potentially, to become one with somebody else. We leave all other relationships. We leave Friendships. We still love and honor parents. We still foster friendships. But all those other relationships now pale in comparison to the time, to the energy, to the commitment that we give to the one person, only one person that we're called to be one with on this planet. You're not called to be one with your parents. You're not called to be one with your children. You're called to be one with your mate. One relationship that absolutely changes once we get married is our relationships with anyone of the opposite sex. You say, well, I can maintain innocent and good relationships with members of the opposite sex. Sure you can. But you always keep them a little bit at an arm distance because they're innocent until they're not. Now, let me tell you for sure what I know about this world. The world wants your marriage to fail. Satan wants your marriage to fail. Let me tell you something else I know about human nature. Your marriage will have rocky times. Your marriage will have not so motivating times. Your marriage will have times I just don't even like you times. Now, I hope for you that those times are mostly short, but they will be there. And when my marriage hits those places, if I have established relationships outside of the marriage... It gives me a place to run and start pouring out my hurt and my grief and begin to emotionally what? Bond with somebody else. I'm moving toward emotional adultery. I've got a call of God on my life to build one relationship toward oneness. And that's with my mate. That's what God has called us to do. So other relationships change. I leave those and I pour my energy, my attention and my time into that one mate. And that leads us right to our fifth observation, which is just the rest of this sentence. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. Marriage requires an inseparable joining of husband and wife throughout their lifetime. The goal of marriage is oneness. As I said a moment ago, you got... Two selfish people. But the goal as they come together is to become one. That word uh, one there or bonds or maybe in your translation it says cleaves. It means to be inseparable, to join fast, to hold tight. It means to remain faithful. You know what's interesting about that word? The same word is used three times in the book of Deuteronomy 
to describe our relationship with God. In other words, God is saying with the same wholehearted devotion, with the same wholehearted commitment that I'm calling you to hold on to me in the very same way. That's how you hold on to your mate. And men, that's what it means to be leader of your home. Leader of your home doesn't mean I'm the man, go get me a sandwich. Leader of the home doesn't mean I'm the man, that means I'm right. Leader of the home means I will lead out. I will take the initiative in creating what God has called us to create inside this home. He's called us to create oneness. It's the man who leads out in creating an environment of openness, an environment of trust, an environment of sharing, an environment where the two of us come together. The woman comes alongside as a helpmate, as a helper in supporting and encouraging this process. Now, here again, this is not some just kind of pie in the sky idea. Oh, shoot for oneness. Isn't it wonderful? No, that's an ideal that's to come into my life and guide every day of my life. Do you realize every single day of your life, every single day with your attitude, your thoughts, your words, the tone of your words, with your actions, you're pushing your mate a little bit away or you're drawing your mate a little bit close. With your words, with your tone of voice, with your thoughts about your mate, you're either building a wall or you're opening a door. Which one is your marriage doing? What are you doing today? This idea of oneness is to come into our lives, into our marriage, and be a checklist every single day. Because if we're not careful, what happens is we're building a wall. That's what our sin nature does. You've got to choose to think positively about your mate. Have you never, you've ever noticed you don't ever have to choose to think negatively about your mate? You don't ever just have to say, you know, what, I'm going to stop what I'm doing right now and I'm going to think about what I don't like about my mate. <laughs> Man, that comes right out. There's no effort at that at all. No, I've got to stop and say, I'm going to choose to think of what I love about her. I got to choose to think about what I value in him. We choose oneness. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a mystery. It's not something that happens to the lucky couples. You choose oneness in your marriage. Last observation we make there in verse, uh, verse 24. And they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked and yet felt no shame. Marriage means oneness in the fullest possible sense, including intimate physical union without shame. You know, folks, God's idea of oneness is so wonderful that, that he said, you know what, I've got to get this out of the sky. I've got to get this out of being just an idea or an ideal to shoot for. And so God gave us an activity where it would literally and physically happen. He gave us sex. And now you see why it was in this design. Its beauty, its power is inside of marriage between one man and one woman. It's not doing anything that it's supposed to be doing outside of marriage. That's where the intimacy is. Now, that last phrase, they were naked and unashamed, that's not a sexual comment. That's a picture of when intimacy has come to full bloom. Naked and unashamed. That means I stand before you. I've got absolutely nothing to hide. You see me for all I am. And listen to this. I absolutely trust your acceptance. Think about that. I trust your acceptance. Acceptance. 
I would dare say there's not a person in this room who doesn't spend some portion of every single day hiding from your best friends, not your enemies. From our best friends, we hide things. We don't want even the people closest to us to know how we think, to know what we feel, to know what we're afraid of. We don't want them to know what's in our past, what's in our background. Why? Because we're afraid if you knew what I was really like, you wouldn't accept me. But see, in the bonds of marriage, God said there has to be one place. This is my design for you. One place where there is nothing to hide. You see absolutely everything and you trust the acceptance. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's the picture God wants to throw up in front of us. And as I look at that picture, as I stare at that picture, it's to guide my thoughts, my words, my actions. Is that the picture in front of us? Is that the the picture you see in the people around you? Of course not. And the people around us are working with the world's picture and sometimes we're tempted to work with the world's picture. You know, God's picture is interdependence and oneness. That means we actually relish the opportunity to say... You know what? I really need you. I am really dependent upon you. Is that what the world encourages in us? No. Even inside of our marriages, it says, always remain a little bit of independence. I don't need you. I mean, you're wonderful. You're good. But I could stand without you. See the difference? That's not intimacy. Uh, You know, God says we accept our mate as good, as a gift, as a treasure. The world says the moment you say I do, start changing them because they're all messed up. And you're probably just the one to fix them. You know, the world says marriage is a 50-50 proposition. You'd put in your 50, I'll put in my 50. And by the way, the moment you're not putting in your part, I'm out of here. Which means the marriage lives in a constant state of insecurity. God's idea is that I come to the marriage and I bring a hundred percent commitment and a hundred percent of what God wants me to do as a man, as a woman in the marriage. And I bring a hundred percent of that even if my mate's not doing their part. Let's amp it up a little bit. Even if my mate never does their part. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Time out. You, you just said a moment ago, one of your observations, that, that marriage was to meet needs. How can I be expected to bring 100% if the marriage isn't meeting my needs? It is God's design that the marriage meets your needs. It is God's design that it be good, that it be exciting. But the path to that is unconditional love. That means you love. That means you play your part without conditions, without expectation of them doing their part. Kind of sounds unfair, doesn't it? Why would God ask that? Could it be because it's what He did for us? You see, the Scripture is going to challenge us to love and to serve and to forgive our mate in the same way that Jesus loved and served and forgave me. Now, let's think about that for a moment. And I'll make it personal. I wonder if it has always been rewarding 
for Jesus to love me? Why well, I can definitively answer that question. No, it has not been always rewarding for him to love Randy Hahn. Have I betrayed Jesus? Yes. Have I cheated on Jesus? Yes. Have I lied to him? Have I ever shown myself untrustworthy? Yeah, I have. And I'm not being rhetorical here. Have I always responded appropriately to his acts of love and and to the right things that he's done? No, I haven't. And yet he never stops, does he? He never stops loving 100%. I think that's for two reasons. One, I think he actually loves me. And two, because he obeys his father. Now, would obeying our Heavenly Father be enough motivation for us to go into a marriage that is not rewarding? To go into a marriage where he or she is not playing their role. They're not doing what God told them to do. Would, it be, would that be enough motivation to go in there and do that? I hope your marriage is a motivation. I hope your marriage motivates you to to love and to serve and to forgive sacrificially. But when it's not, when, not if, when it's not, maybe a new picture needs to go up at that moment. And that's the picture of the opportunity of one day being able to stand before God and say, I did what you called me to do in this marriage. I did it to please you. Even when it wasn't rewarding. Would that be enough for you? That picture of obeying your heavenly Father. That's a tough thought, isn't it? I mean, we know the right answer. I mean, sitting here in church, oh yes, yes, God's, God's worth it. That that's not what we feel. Is God enough for you to go in there and do the hard part? The reason we need to interact with that question is because we haven't looked at the tough passages yet. That comes next time when we go back into Ephesians. Let's pray. Father, I can't imagine anybody in here that's married or anticipates being married doesn't want a good marriage, doesn't want that marriage to be rewarding and and fulfilling and to make us happy. But Lord, I pray we would not shy away from a hard and a difficult marriage. As difficult as it might be for us to think about that, Lord, I pray that we might see that as an opportunity in that moment to realize just how much we are loved and how you're always faithful, even when we're not. I pray that we would yield that opportunity, God, to let you come in and and mold us and make us more and more like Jesus. Lord, I pray that and honestly, I do not want that. 
But God, I pray that obeying you would be the greatest pleasure in my life. And Lord, I pray for our marriages. I pray we would have this picture. I pray as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, that that we could live by your word. And that our homes and our marriages would create this picture for the world who's not reading your word and who has so many bad pictures out there in front of them. God, could my marriage be a picture for my neighborhood, for my friends, for the people around me? God, may we as your people show the world what intimacy and your design is really like. Would you use our marriage to do that? And Lord, as we pray that, may we realize... It begins with, as an individual, making the commitment to unconditional love. To loving and serving without the condition of our mate doing the same. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, as I conclude today, I can't help but think of how I concluded last week. You know, last week we studied that that foundational passage in all the Bible of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And I said last week, you you can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And of course, Ephesians 5.18, this empowering of the Holy Spirit falls right before all of these passages about the home and the family. You can't play the role as a wife God's calling you to play or as a husband. You can't do it in your power. You can't do it. It takes the Holy Spirit living in you. You know when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you? That moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What a profound moment that is. When we turn and place our trust, not in ourselves, not in our religion, our denomination, our church, our good works, but we place all of our faith in Jesus Christ and what He accomplished for us at the cross. We're forgiven of all of our sins. We receive eternal life. We become a child of God. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in us so we can follow Jesus. I mean, the gifts just go on and on and on. If you're sitting in here today and you don't know that you have that relationship with Christ, could I encourage you in a moment when we stand and sing to step out of these aisles and take a step of faith. Take a step of faith and come forward to one of these pastors and say, I want to have that relationship with Christ. I want to have all that stuff he has for me. And let us pray with you for a moment, talk with you about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe today you've been thinking about joining this church and becoming a part of this church family. But we'd love to have you be a part of our family. It's at this point of the service that we kind of open the doors to our home and we invite anybody that God is leading to come in and be a part of the membership of this church. If God's leading you in this way, then this time and this moment is for you also. So is Jesus calling you into a relationship with himself? Is he calling you into our church home and family? If he is, as we stand and as we sing... You say yes to the Lord Jesus and you come.